0: pray for us. Let's get started this morning. I want to honor you guys' time. I want to be at, what time is it, nine? So and I said we'd be out of here by 1030, so I want to honor that to the best of my ability. <clears throat> Let me pray for us. Father God, we thank you. Oh man, we thank you for your grace to us. We thank you for making us. We thank you for redeeming us through Christ. We thank you for the work that you've been doing in and through us. And Father, we, we come to you this morning and we submit our manhood to you. We submit our identity to you. We want you to teach us who we are, how we're supposed to live, what we're supposed to do with our life. We confess right away that we've been formed and misformed and misinformed by our culture, by the families we grew up in, by our fathers, um, by, you know, just just the culture telling us who we should be. We've been lied to a bunch and made, we, might not even, we might still be blind and not even know it to what you've called us to do and to be. And so I ask that you would open our eyes this morning, Jesus, um, that you would do a good work in these men and in my heart as well. I ask that you would think through my mind and that you would speak through my vocal cords that it would be all of you and none of me this morning. Let this be a fruitful time for your glory. <clears throat> in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is really good to be together this morning, guys. Uh, let me tell you right up front why we are here. That God's word teaches that godly men are to lead their families, lead the church, and lead society at large. When they don't lead well, bad things happen and societies eventually collapse. So I want to make it a regular practice for us to meet together and learn how to be better men. Um, I didn't have this when I was growing up. I didn't have... Pastors speaking directly to the men. The only men thing we did at church was the men went golfing, right? And there was no gospel conversations. There was no manly conversations. We were just golfing and having a good time. And so I'm not ashamed to say that I want Sacred City to be the most masculine church in the Quad Cities. Okay? I want it to be a church where men feel welcome, men feel understood, valued, and challenged, and where men of all ages can learn how to better lead themselves, lead their families, lead in the church, and lead in society as a whole. Now, just to clarify, this is in no way to downplay the role of our wives or the ladies in our church. In fact, the one request I have heard from ladies in our church and in my ministry over the past 20 years, the one thing that I hear the most from the women are, I wish my men, my husband was a better leader. I wish my husband would lead me spiritually. All right? All right. And so, I believe we are serving the women of our church by focusing on you this morning. When the men of the church grow, the rest of the church grows as well. Everything rises and falls on leadership, and we're called, as men, to be leaders. So, the spiritual health and vitality of our church is a direct result of the health of Christian men. If the the men in the church are healthy, the church will be healthy, right? Now, the the women could be healthy, and if the men aren't healthy, the church won't be healthy. So, this is why Satan spends so much of his time and energy trying to take us out. If he can trip us up, then he can trip up our entire family, our entire church, and our entire city, I would go as far to say that the reason our country is in the state it's in right now is because Satan has deceived the men and the men have sold their birthright like Esau for a bowl of porridge. And I'll just tell you right up front what I think we've done is God's called us to lead, right? And, and we've said, nah, I don't really want to do that. That sounds kind of exhausting. I'll rather just chill and watch football and hang out and look at porn. Right Or be promiscuous or whatever. We've sold our birthright for a bowl of porridge. God wants us to be fully masculine. Kicking down the gates of hell. Building Christian families, Christian businesses, Christian schools, and Christian churches. And yet Satan wants us to be cowards. He doesn't want us to build anything. So this is why we are so tempted to either be lazy... Or we are tempted to use the energy and passion that we've got to be destructive. And that's exactly where many men in our society are today. I think one of the greatest battles in any generation, I think it's been happening since the Garden of Eden, but it's happening in our generation, of course, as well. Listen, it's a battle over our virility. Virility. Now, I've never heard this talk before. All right? I didn't get this from nobody else. I've never heard this. This is something I feel like the Lord's leading me into and I'm studying the scriptures on and so it might be brand new and I hope it's not heresy. We'll see. Okay, you you, you guys have to check me on it, all right? Virility, we don't use that word very often, right? How's your virility? We don't talk about that, right? What is virility? Virility comes from the Latin word, well, the Latin word for man is V-I-R, vir, right? So virility, this is... uh, is the quality of having strength, energy, and a strong sex drive, manliness. Here, here listen to what virility is. I'm going to tell you this, vir- virility will get you canceled today, okay? Virility is everything that the culture wants to take out of manhood. When, uh, who was the director, the, the famous director that said testosterone is a is like a cancer or something like that, and men need to drain it from their bodies. The Cameron, James Cameron, James Cameron. This is what he's talking about. Virility is the quality of having strength, energy, and a strong sex drive, manliness. Men, have you ever asked, why do I have a strong, this strong of a sex drive, right? Is there something wrong with me? We're gonna see there's not something wrong with you. This is your virility. What I want to do this morning is show you where virility comes from, and then you show you how Satan is trying to either counterfeit it or turn it evil, let's say. All right, how he wants to give He wants us to give our virility over to him through lust, pornography, fornication, adultery, masturbation. He does all of this. listen, to steal kill and destroy us because our virility is one of the most potent things about our masculinity that's what he wants to attack it's one of the most constructive things of our masculinity that's what he wants to attack right the enemy goes at our the core of our manhood the core of who we are to put it really simply god made you virile he made you to be strong He made you to be full of energy and to want to have sex as often as possible. God made you that way. God did that, listen to this, so that you would get off the couch, pursue a godly woman, marry her, and build the kingdom of God. Why do you have this fire in your belly, right? That you know more sex doesn't satisfy, right? The men that are married know that, right? Right? You have sex, you're completely satisfied and 10 minutes later you're like, I could probably do it again, right? right, What's wrong with us? What's wrong with us? Well, that passion, that virility, that drive isn't just connected to our sexuality, it's also connected to getting off the couch and out into the world and actually building things, right? Right? when we use it in the ways that God has prescribed for us, it is constructive. It builds great marriages. It builds great families. It builds great churches. It builds great societies. But like I said, everything God creates, Satan counterfeits. So Satan wants to turn our virility away from the one woman that God has given us. And when we do, the Bible calls that lust. When our virility gets pointed at something other than our spouse, right? Another woman. The Bible calls that lust. And it can take all kind of different forms. But here's the deal. Every single one of those forms damages us. Destroys our family begins to destroy our churches, begins to destroy our society. And I don't think I have to make, I shouldn't have to make much of an argument here that our country is being destroyed by lust. A recent study found that 76% of adolescent girls had received unsolicited pictures of males' genitalia, a.k.a., I'm gonna use a harsh word here, dick pics, okay? 76% of Adolescent girls, by the time they get out of high school, have received a picture like that. 70% of these girls had been asked to send nude pictures. The porn industry generates more income than the combined revenues of ABC, NBC, and CBS. And more than the combined revenues of NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball. In the USA, the porn industry generates 15 billion nationally and over 100 billion a year internationally. Now listen, many people, stupid people like Joe Rogan, say things like, porn doesn't do anything, any harm. It's no big deal. Masturbation, it's no big deal. Porn is everywhere. It's ubiquitous. And it is the leading cause, a leading cause in fornication, right? Sex outside of marriage. It's a leading cause in abuse. It's a leading cause in adultery. It's a leading cause in human trafficking and abortion. So, porn hurts everyone. Porn hurts everyone, right? The person doing porn, it hurts them. That's somebody's daughter, right? Somebody's mom, sometimes. This past week, as I was talking to the staff and praying and prepping for this talk, I had two pornographic videos pop up on my Facebook feed in the video on your feed in the little video section. I have no, they had the bottom area blurred out and full frontal nudity, two of them. So I reported them and deactivated my account again. I think it is Satan's way of trying, Satan's way of trying to discourage me from giving this talk today. Now, I know that many of you, if not all of you, battle with lust on a daily basis. The battle ranges from simple nuisance lust. Nuisance lust is, hey, there's a really hot chick, and she's wearing a low-cut blouse. And you're like, you know, like, that's nuisance lust. It starts at nuisance lust, and it goes all the way to full-blown sexual addictions, You've probably prayed a thousand times for God to just take it away from you, and he hasn't. Today I want to show you why he hasn't and why he won't. And I hope to give you hope and a game plan for killing the dragon of lust. So first I want to do is take a look where these desires come from and why they can feel so strong and hard to control. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. There are Bibles under, under the seats if you didn't bring it. <clears throat> Starting in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. I'm going to read 15, then I'll skip to 18 you guys there all right the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it here we see man was put in the garden to work it and keep it verse 18 then the Lord God said it is not good that the man should be alone I will make him a helper fit for him Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. Excuse me. The man gave names to all livestock and to all birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. <clears throat> then the man said, "This at last is Amen. bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man." Therefore, therefore or because of this, a man shall leave leave his father and mother and hold fast, cleave, be united, be in covenant to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. All right. Right away, we see that God created us a certain way. He put us in the garden to work it and to keep it. What do you need in order to work and keep something? You need strength. You need strength in order to work and keep something. So God made us strong, right? It's just a biological fact that, we are, that men are stronger than women, right? God made us this way. He made us strong. We're supposed to be strong. We're supposed to be full of energy and full of passion. We're supposed to have a strong sex drive. In other words, God made us virile. Why did he make us this way? Here's what I'm going to say today. Our virility is a nuclear reactor for Christian civilization. Our virility is a nuclear reactor for Christian civilization. And that passion that we have is meant to, that that amount of energy that we have, it's meant to get us out into the garden and to work it and keep it. And by the way, you gotta get. You gotta think bigger. If you think there were, he was just out there just to you know plant roses in the garden, right? That, he was doing way more than that. When God says work it and keep it, He's saying take the raw stuff of creation and build civilization, like build, build, build a rocket that can go to the moon, right? He, he's all of that is in, in this dominion or uh, cultural mandate. Look at verse, or look. Let's go to chapter one, verse twenty-eight. <clears throat> chapter one, verse twenty-eight. and God blessed them and God said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth we see here when God he tells us to to work and keep the garden but he also tells us to be fruitful and multiply to fill the earth like we are made in the image of God and God wants his image spread over the face of the entire earth that means sex is a large part of the mission of God. And it's a large part of our mission as well, that we're meant to procreate. We're meant to have children that spread the image of God over the face of the earth. So why, So, what did God do? God built us a certain way. He has this mission that... The, the, the whole of creation will be renewed for his glory and civilization will be built. And so what does he do? He puts in us this virility, this desire that we look at a woman and we go, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, right? And if, you ha- if you're a young man and you haven't had that experience yet, you will someday. And you will, hopefully you'll remember this Bible verse and go, that's what I feel right now, right? God gives us this desire for a woman and we're meant to point that desire towards her. Right, God wants us to be attracted to our spouse, to desire her, and to make babies with her. Scripture here tells us sex unites, the two become one, that it's a covenantal renewal ceremony. Um, Hebrews tells us that marriage is to be held in high honor, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled, why? So that we keep coming back to it as married men every day for the rest of our lives with the same woman. It's a nuclear reactor that as we return to it, we, we get our energy stirred up and then that energy shoots us back out into the world to build and we keep coming back. We keep coming back. We keep coming back. It says, subdue it and have dominion. It's called our dominion or cultural mandate. It was our original great commission. We're to take the raw things of this world and develop them into God-glorifying societies. God reiterates this mission in chapter 2 when he puts Adam in the garden by himself, and he says, again, work it and keep it. But Adam quickly finds out that his mission is too big for him all by himself. He needs his helpmate, right? So God makes him one out of his rib and presents her to him in the first ever marriage ceremony. Adam thinks she's amazing. Here's what I want you to see this morning. God has a mission for image bearers to cover this earth. And he has a mission for society to advance and creation to be cultivated. Listen, that's one mission. The mission to build things for society. Homes, churches, businesses, right? And the mission to make babies. I want you to, maybe for the first time in your life, I want you to connect your virility to those two things. Not just over here to make babies and then why am I so passionate? I don't know. I guess I'll just watch football. That's not going to do it. You have this insatiable desire in you to get you up off of the couch, out of the house, building things. So much so that you fall back into bed at night absolutely exhausted. That's what you're made for. You're not made for comfort. You're not made for ease. Verse, where am I at here? I think I was in uh, 220. Let me go to 224, back back to 224. Therefore, a man shall, look, leave his father and mother. Do you see that? A man's virility. Do you guys remember growing up and you got to be about 18 years old or maybe it was a little bit before that and you just had this insatiable desire to get out of the house? I just want to go and be a man. I just want to go and do my own thing. I can't wait till I get out from under my parents' roof or whatever. Now, you might have had great parents and you still felt that way. Why? Because God built you that way. That's what your virility is for. Therefore, leave your father and mother. Do you see that this, that this, this virility pushes us out into the world? It pushes us away from our, our, our upbringing. It's meant to push us out of our parents' basement right? It's meant to push us out away from video games, it's meant to push us out into the world, and then where? We're building, but then it's also meant to push us into our our wives' bed. The same virility. That's what it's for. We're to leave our father and mother, we're to find a wife, pursue her, sacrifice for her, commit to her, and then spend the rest of our life loving her, leading her, building a family with her. And that same energy is then, so here's what happens. We go out and we, we build the family. We, we make some babies and we've got some babies. What's been happening the last hundred years or so, then we don't know what else to do. Well, I guess we'll provide and I guess we'll protect. So I, I got to get a good job and I need some guns in the house in case a bad guy show up. Well, that's it. No, no, no. We need to train up our children in the way that they should go and they'll not depart from it. We need a full education for our children all the way down. So think about it if Adam and Eve, like who's educating the kids? What school, what school is Adam and Eve sending their kids to? See, why are we bored? Because we've outsourced education. Somebody else takes care of that. How many things have we outsourced? He needs discipline. Put him in sports. We've outsourced our job as men and so we're really freaking bored. And when men get bored, they do dumb stuff. The prisons are full of them. Right? Everybody knows, like in Chicago and stuff, on holidays, like that's when crime goes up. Right? When people are just bored, sitting on their hands, doing nothing. Right? The same energy that causes us to... So, here's the idea. We, we, this energy, this virility pushes us towards our spouse. The natural outcome of that virility is children. Then we have this little brood of children who need educated, who need healthcare, who need, right? Whatever our mission is, maybe they can be a part of our mission. If, if I was, a, if I, back in the day, if you're working on the farm or you're a blacksmith, guess what? You brought your kids into that. Hold this, right? Your kids were your first workers, Right? You're bringing them into that. So that same energy that pushes us towards our spouse, that makes children, that same energy pushes us back out into the world to build stuff for our children. Like the, the end result of, guys, we're to leave an inheritance to our children's children, Proverbs says. An inheritance to our children's children. Not just a big bank account, but stuff. We need to leave behind churches. Churches. We need to leave behind businesses. We need to leave behind artifacts that we built to take care of them when we're gone, right? We all, I think every man wants a legacy, right? We want to be remembered after we're gone. Well, this is why we build. The same energy pushes us towards our wife, pushes us out into the world to build things for the sake of our family, right? Right? I want my kid to have a better education than I do, so let's build a school, right? I want my kids to have a better church than I had, so let's build the church. On and on and on it goes. So, but here's what's happened to, I bet you nearly every single one of your fathers, once you turned 18, pretty much, if they got you into college or got you into trade, thought their job was done. That's, you, our job is not done. And then what do they do? They get bored, so they start spending stupid money on stupid things right they're 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 vacationing their life away right they're just gonna go sit on the beach somewhere for the rest of their life John Piper famously says in uh in don't waste your life he says for what you're trading your inheritance you're trading your legacy for seashells no I I, I wanna have I wanna have Businesses, I want to have rental properties, I want to have w- ways of my son making money after, like, I want to be able to give him th- those things so he starts off better than me and he's got more opportunity than I had, right? So many of us, we just think 40 hour work week, we just think I just got to get to retirement and then I can smooth sailing, and kid, you're on your own. That's not the way a biblical man thinks. Here's how George Gilder puts it in his book, Men in Marriage. He says, Civilization is built by men with families to feed. This is how God built us to operate. Think about this. <clears throat> men, because we're typically bigger, faster, stronger, and have stronger sexual desires. Listen, do you know that men are the most dangerous creature on the planet? Like, you guys have heard of the Vikings, right? Pillaging and raping. This is what unrestrained virility does, right? Andrew Tate, basically the same deal. What is he doing? He's rejecting God's form. He's rejecting God's covenant of marriage. And he just wants to impregnate or have as much sex as possible. This is like Genghis Khan type of stuff. Just spread his seed all over the place and not commit it to one person. Single men are more prone to be led by their, and slaves to their passions. They commit more crimes. They spend their money unwisely, right? Oh, I got, I got a $500 paycheck. Let's just go spend $500, right? They're not thinking about, most of the time, about investing. They're not thinking about the future, right? But you get that paycheck, and you got mouths to feed, right? I guess I better pay my insurance, Right? I guess I better fix the house up. I guess I, I guess I better invest some of that, save some of that. Right? Men who haven't submitted to marriage, single men, are the most dangerous men on the planet, even in our society. They're the ones filling the prisons, by and large. They're the ones committing the crimes. They're the ones stealing the cars in our city. They're the ones breaking in. They got nothing to lose. They commit more crimes. They spend their money unwise. They masturbate alone or are sexually promiscuous. Single men also have a far higher propensity to kill themselves. Why? They're not built for that lifestyle. It's not a fulfilling lifestyle. It's a lie from the enemy. It's the way Satan wants to steal their virility and destroy them. Indeed, it is not good. Right here, Genesis, right? It's not good that man should be alone. Single men prove that over and over and over. So what are they going to do? What do we need to do? Well, we need to submit our virility to God. This virility is like a nuclear reactor That is capable of producing immense amounts of energy for good if it's harnessed and governed by certain rules, but it's also capable of literally destroying the world if used outside of God's design. Right? We're shocked because Hamas just invaded Israel and, and raped a bunch of women. Listen, the only reason we're shocked is because our consciences have been Christianized. You know what they called that like a thousand years ago? War. That's what you did. That was why men went to the battlefield many times before that. Well, maybe a couple thousand years ago, but they went to the battlefield, non-Christian warriors. They went to the battlefield because they knew they got to rape and pillage if they won. They get to rape all the women if they won. So what's going to get me out there on the battlefield to sacrifice, right? Yeah, I want to win some battles, but also I get to rape and pillage. This is our virility outside of God's design and it can destroy civilization. So what are God's rules? We know this. God's rules are one man, one woman, lifelong covenant of marriage, create a family, build a civilization. Men who don't submit to God's design for their virility usually just become modern-day Vikings, raping and pillaging to satisfy their base desires. They become modern-day playboys who do everything in their power to bed the most women they can while avoiding the responsibility that comes with virility. Listen, this is what rap music today, not Christian rap music, this is why rap music is so dangerous, I think, today. Because rap music promotes this kind of unhinged virility. And the women are just as bad as the men. Right? They're teaching our young men to be disrespectful and to, to literally be little Genghis Khan's just trying to spread their seed around and it's destroying communities. We know fatherlessness is one of the leading causes of nearly every ill in our society today. What is that? That's the man's sex drive that isn't submitted to God. These men destroy the world and leave no positive legacy in the world. So here's what I want to do. I think we need to reframe the conversation around lust and pornography. Listen, it's not just a naughty thing to do. It's not just a naughty thing to do. Listen, think of it like this. It's Satan's primary way of attacking your greatest strength, your virility. He's attacking your power. He's attacking your authority as a, as a man and a husband. If you can't beat this, you can never look at your son and tell your son that he can beat it. And if you can't beat it, your son won't beat it until maybe he's outside, out of your house or something, and the Lord does something. This is Satan's way of attacking your power. That nuclear reactor that you've got, the greatest potential for doing good things in the world, Satan's coming right at it and attacking it. He's attacking your legacy. So I hope we can, if, you know, we're warriors in here, if we think about it, if somebody's trying to attack my greatest potential, I should get a little pissed about that. Right? That's where I want us to to feel a little bit this morning here's how the book. let's go to the book of Proverbs we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 7 many of you are probably familiar with this passage of scripture <clears throat> if, you're not, if you have a hard time finding it Proverbs is pretty much right in the middle of your Bible open it up to the middle you should find Psalms or Proverbs Proverbs is right after Psalms <clears throat> Proverbs King Solomon writing to his son King Solomon was one of the wisest men to ever live. And yet he did some really foolish stuff. Oh, we got it on the screen. Thank you. I forgot that we, I forgot that I planned ahead. <laughs> All right, let's there. So Solomon writing to his son. He's writing to a future king. Guys, look at me. He's writing to a future king. I think every single person in here, you are a future king, Right? You're meant to be a king. You're meant to have a, have a little domain that you rule and you rule well and you're meant to sire kings and queens and you want to raise future kings and queens that aren't fools that follow the, way, follow the way of the world, right? So we need to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandment and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. In other, in other words, memorize what I'm about to say to you. Say to wisdom, you are my sister and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman. And you circle that unless it's a church Bible. <clears throat> keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Like I started thinking this year, all right, or this week as I was praying through this, I'm like, man, it's, it's tough to be a man in the 21st century, right? Solomon... Solomon walked down the street and women were covered from their head to their toe in a robe, right? And he's teaching his son about the dangers of forbidden and adulterous women. So this, they say, prostitution is the oldest uh, career in the book, right? It's been going on for a long time, right? And for us, man, it's hard, it's difficult. It feels more difficult living in our day and age. And maybe it, maybe it is, Right? But this was written about 4,000 years ago. And Solomon's heart, whatever was in Solomon's heart, listen, his ladies weren't wearing yoga pants, okay? They weren't wearing crop tops. And yet, how many wives did he get? How many concubines did he get? Right? So listen, listen, the way that women dress is a problem, right? Right? Our phone, the technology, the ease of pornography, the ubiquitous nation, all that's a problem, guys. It's all, but whatever the problem is preceded all of that because Solomon had a problem, right? Why? It's how God made us. It's our virility. It's our passion. And guess what? You know what makes Solomon different than most of us? He was a real king and had unlimited resources, right? Right? So he could do whatever he wanted to. He could get as many wives or as many women. There was nobody in his mind above him, right? We, I think in our heart, most of us are actually like that. This is why when men get wealth, when men get power and success, right, they usually do this kind of behavior. Let's keep reading. At the window of my house, I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple... I have perceived among the youth a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house. Okay, here's the idea. Everybody knows where the hooker lives. Everybody knows where the promiscuous woman lives. Everybody knows the website that you can click on. It's one click away from finding her. Everybody knows that. And this foolish young man is like, I think I'm going to take that way to work today. Here's what, here's the deceitfulness in our heart. You have already decided to go into the prostitute when you do that. You've already decided it. That's why you're going that way. That's why you pick up your phone. That's why you pull, go to your room to pull, get on the computer. Right. This is the this is Satan attacking your virility, and it happens not at the moment of conception. Right. It happens when you're like, I think I'm gonna walk this way. What's the big deal? I'm free in Jesus. I got grace. In the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. Oh, remember things, sometimes bad things happen at night. Right? Jesus talks to us about that. So the time of day matters. We should all know this when dealing with temptation. Time of day matters. Our attitude matters. Lots of different things matter. And behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. This is basic, I mean, this is what the world wants to make women into right here. Visually seductive, wily of heart. You know what wily of heart means? Guys, we are just dumb creatures. Like, we're very simple. We're very simple. Like, <laughs> somebody asked me a couple weeks ago, how often do you think about Rome? As something going on. And I said, every other day. Right? But if they said, how often do you think about sex? I'm like, every other minute maybe. Right? That's men. A wily of heart woman knows that and is playing off that. Right? She's playing you. This is why she's wearing the low cut top. Low, low cut, low cut top. Okay? This is why she's wearing the spandex. This is why she's doing those things. She's wanting your virility. She's wanting your inheritance. She's wanting your power. Her feet, she's loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. So she's not married in covenant and focusing on her home like she should be. Now in the street, now in the market, and everywhere at the corner she lies in wait, all up on my phone, all in my newsfeed, all over everywhere, that's where she's at. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices. Today I've paid my vows, so now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens, and Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Right? Here we go. 4,000 years ago, the original OnlyFans girl, right here. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. It's only eight bucks a month. It's only 20 bucks a month. Nobody will know. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. She's an adulterer. He has gone away on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. Look at verse 21. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Here's, one, here's what we need to see, guys. If we don't treat lust and pornography with the utmost seriousness, there comes a point of almost no return. Right? You get caught up in that, you're being played like a fiddle. Like we are visual creatures. Soon as that thing pops up, you know where it's going. All at once he follows her... As an ox goes to the slaughter. In other words, look at Lust will cost him his life. Or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know it, that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be not attentive, or be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. The King James Version translates that verse: Yeah, many strong men have been slain by her. Many strong men have been slain by her. What strong men in scriptures have been slain by lust? Samson. Samson. Let's go there. Judges 16. Judges 16. If you don't know Samson, God gave Samson... Samson was virility on steroids. All right, he had intense amounts of strength. The strongest man to ever lived. But guess what came with that strength? Right? A strong sex drive. Chapter 16 of Judges, verse 1 through 5. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute. And he went into her. Samson, Romans, or I mean... Proverbs 7, we just described what Samson. I mean, Samson was the dumb stag, Samson was the ox. Proverbs says, it'll cost you your life. Let's see what happens. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. So Samson's got enemies, right? Strong dude, he's got enemies. So they're going to set an ambush for him. What will they attack? They kept quiet all night saying, let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gates of the city and the two posts and he pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is, called, that is at the front of Hebron. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistine came up to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Look at this. Samson's great strength was connected to his sexuality. Do you see that? He he went in, he, he was, He followed the way of the world. So he was with a prostitute. Then he meets this hot chick named Delilah. And so, and guess what? His enemies know his strength is connected to his sexuality. And if we can get him to sin, we can kill him. And that's exactly what happened. They tempt Delilah. Delilah plays the role of Proverbs 7. She gets in there. She tempts him. She tricks him. Multiple times. He is like, we read it and we're like, Samson, what are you doing? Right, but how many times have we been seduced by some internet girl or something? Right, and what are we doing? We're sacrificing our strength. So, what does what happens to Samson? They cut his hair, right? Cut it, gouge out his eyes, they make a mockery of him. His, he could have been the, one of the best judges in Israel. Can you imagine the legacy? Like, Samson never had kids. Like that, can you imagine like watching football players if they were kids of Samson or something? You know what I mean? If they had these athletic specimen. If he would have had that legacy go down, like, oh yeah, that's the son of Samson. But guess what? It took, eventually it takes his life. It takes his strength. It takes his virility. It takes his legacy, Right? Now, what does he do? We know at the end of his life, was Samson saved? Yes, Samson was saved. We could say Samson was a Christian. At the end of his life, he killed more Philistines than he did in his life, right? So he's gonna be in heaven with eyes and some good stories to tell. Strongest man to ever live, taken out by the oldest trick in the book, Proverbs 7 woman. What's another strong man in scripture that was taken out by lust? David! David, okay, remember, this young man in Proverbs 7, he just, he just took the wrong way home, right? He knows he's going by the prostitute's house. David, this whole, the story of David and uh, um, Bathsheba begins with, in the time when the kings should be at war. Where should David be? On the battlefield, You got virility? You got excess virility? Get out on the battlefield. Get out into the world. That's where you're meant to be, out there working and building. He wasn't, he was at home chilling on the roof, and what does he see? Bathsheba, on the roof, naked, right? Modern day interpreters want to make David 100% guilty, but why is there a woman on the roof bathing naked in the middle of the day? Maybe she was a Proverbs seven woman as well, right? He sees it. He wants her. He takes her. He's destroyed by it. What? What did it cost him? What did it cost him? Do we you, you know what? Costed his, a child. Costed him part of his legacy. Eventually, his kingdom gets split in two. Why? His virility not submitted. To the lordship of Christ. So we see with Samson, it sapped his strength, it made him vulnerable, it made him look like a fool, it literally cut off his legacy. He squandered all the gifts that he had given. His virility was rendered almost useless. We know, see, Satan comes to steal and to kill and destroy us. One of the ways, maybe the chief way today, that Satan wants to destroy us as men is through lust. And sexual sin. Turn to Proverbs 31. You're like, oh, now we're going to talk about the good women. Well, no, not so much. Proverbs chapter 31. Verse 3. Do not give your strength... To women your ways to those who destroy kings Solomon's writing this Solomon was a great man cut down destroyed by his own lust see what he says do not give your strength to women your strength your virility your masculinity your potency, your power, you don't give it to women, plural. You're meant to give it to one woman. Our sexuality is connected to our strength. Go to Turn over to Proverbs 5. My son... Be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to under... It starts very similar to seven. That you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. They taste sweet. And her speech is smoother than oil. See, she's wily. She knows how to entice you. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, and her steps follow to the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Let strangers take the fill of your strength. See that? Your strength. Pornography is about taking your strength, taking your courage, taking your boldness, taking your virility. That's what it's about. That's what Satan's trying to do. And your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan and when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. And here's God's prescription, praise God, for our desire for this virility. Drink water from your own cistern. What does that mean? Your wife. Flowing water from your own well. Look, should your springs, your sexuality, be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? No. Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed, your wife, and rejoice, rejoice, enjoy the wife of your youth, a lovely dear, a graceful doe. doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. We're commanded to point our virility toward our wife. Our wife should know why she has to smack our hands all the time. Because I believe the Bible, babe. And I'm here to follow the Bible. If I know one verse, it's going to be Proverbs chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. Listen, if I can't live this one. (laughs) Baby, if I can't live this verse, I can't live all the hard verses. Right? I can't live the hard verses if I can't live this verse. Look, why? And then he goes on, verse 20. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? Our wives need to know this. They need to know this Bible verse. They need to know why God made us virile. They need to know that if I'm not... Listen, if your wife is smacking your hand all the time and you're not having con- consistent and often enjoyable sex with your wife, then you need to have counseling session and sit down and we, we need to talk about it, okay? She needs to know that God made you this way and if, even if you're not having a lot of good sex, at your, you don't have the right to look at pornography. You don't have the right to take care of yourself. You don't have the right to have to eyes. Have but every person with two brain cells know it is a contributing factor, If you're not having consistent, enjoyable sex with your spouse, it's a contributing factor to looking at porn and doing these other different things. Your wife needs to know that. Verse 21. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. mm, For the man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. And he ponders all his paths. Here's what I know about you. If you, maybe you didn't know this, actually. We were tearing out the ceiling in this, in this building in the, one of the offices, and we tore down some ceiling tiles, and out comes some Playboys from 1982. Okay? Isn't that right, Mike? <laughs> they, text, they didn't even pick him up. It was like contraband. They took a picture of what should we do with this? Right? the doesn't take care of it. Yeah. I did not say, just put them on my desk. I'll take care of it. No. We said, bag those up, throw them in the the trash. Here's 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 the game plan. Here's the game plan, though. I sit you down. I have a Playboy in my hand or whatever. And I look at you and I say, this is a test. You want it? This is a test to steal your virility, to take your strength, to take your legacy. You want it? I bet you every man in this room that has the spirit of God in them would say, get that away from me, man. Get that away from me. Right? Why? Because I'm right here. You, you, one, you know it's a test. You see the, the, the bait on the end of the hook. And two, I'm right here. You, my eyes are on you. Right? God's eyes are always on us. And any temptation that comes to us, prom, God promises to give us a way out. But listen, we have to know it's temptation. God, God you might not like to hear this. God sent that to you as a test. Right? Not because he's mean and he wants you to defeat it. It's a little baby dragon brought to you, and you're meant to cut its head off and not look. And if you don't, it grows. The eyes, where am I at? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him and he's held fast in the cords of his sin. Guys, I know there's some guys in here that that are held fast in the cords of your sin. You're bound up. You're strapped down. You feel like you can't get out. Jesus can set you free. He dies for lack of discipline and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Pornography and lust want to make us cowards. It's a dragon that wants to make us impotent. To turn one of our greatest, the greatest gifts God's given us, our virility, and use it against us to destroy us, to destroy our families, to destroy our church, and destroy the rest of society. Guys, listen, this is our great battle. And here's what the world wants to do right now. The world wants you to be black-pilled. The world wants you to see all the wayward women, all the wild women, all the literal You go back 30 years and all these women would be called prostitutes, right? The world wants you to see all these women and go, I have no hope. I'm never going to find a Christian woman. I have no hope because I can't stop looking and I can't stop lusting and I can't stop clicking. The the, the world wants you to be blackpilled and give up hope. Don't give up up hope. Don't get blackpilled. What God creates... Satan always tries to counterfeit and destroy. But listen, Jesus can redeem. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 9. You there? Say there. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. So right here we see, guys, sexual immorality keeps people out of the kingdom. Right? In all its forms. Sexual, sec, that word sexual immorality or sexually immoral is just pornea. That's where we get our word pornography from. Okay? Nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. Now listen, some of us right here, that's oh, that, that cuts deep, right? That cuts deep. But look at the next verse, or the next two verses. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. Paul is writing this to Corinth. Corinth had a temple to Artemis. Or not, I can't remember what the name, but they, the temple was a giant penis. That's what the that's what that's the shape of it. And you know how you worship the gods in that place? Having sex with prostitutes. So the men could just show up whenever they wanted to. You know that's the man's favorite God, whatever God that is. Right? Think of, think of how challenging it is to plant Christianity in that city wait you guys only have sex with one person and you guys have to give away all your money and, and, and you know give to the church you guys got to sacrifice and uh, they just have sex with prostitutes like this is a man this is why this is a man made religion right literally this is the real thing So Paul starts preaching the gospel in Corinth and gay dudes came to Christ. Men having, and by the way, that's the other thing pornography wants you to do. Pornography's goal is to make you gay. Staring at another man's penis. That's what what it's trying to do. Make you gay. Right? He had all these. Paul had all that. Paul had the sexually immoral going to the prostitute. Paul had all kind of sin. The same stuff that we deal with today. There's there's all kind of perverted stuff in the Bible that the Bible condemns, right? Bestiality, all that kind of stuff, right? That was going on in back in there, back in day, that day too. And Paul looks out at his church and says, and such were some of you. In other words, that's who you used to be. In other words, you came broken sexually, right? And you struggle with it, but God has done something to redeem you. And this is what he says. He says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, When you come to Christ, he washes you with his blood. He covers you with his righteousness. He takes all of your sins on the cross and dies for them there. All of that impurity, all of that filth, all that vileness, all those pornographic thoughts, and he takes them to the cross and he dies for them. You were sanctified. That means set apart. God took you out of the miry clay. He took you out of that sexual filth and he set you apart for himself. You were justified. That means made totally right before God. All the legal demands that you broke, all the laws that you broke, Jesus Christ paid for them and you've been 100% justified by Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the spirit of our God. Listen, Jesus Christ can set you free. Such were some of you. You can have victory over this Dragon of lust. I want to read. Yeah, I am. I'm going to read this this section from C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. But because it's kind of long, do we have this on the slide? I can't remember. We okay, excellent, excellent. Because it's going to be hard to follow along, but you guys can read with me. <clears throat> so this book. C.S. Lewis tells of a busload of people. It's a dream he had, and it's a busload of people who travel to heaven on their way to take up their residence in hell. So they're going through heaven, and, they, and they, um, they're, they're going through heaven to get to hell. These people appear, listen, the metaphor that C.S. Lewis works with is heaven is too real for people that are going to heaven. So when these people, they're like shadow people, when they step on the grass, the grass like pierces their feet, so they hate heaven. Heaven's too real for them. Okay? These people appear thin and almost ghost-like in the robust atmosphere of heaven, and most of them immediately flee back to the comforts of their bus. They want to go to hell. But one ghost, who is plagued by a talkative red lizard, this red lizard, you'll find out, represents sin and lust. This, This red lizard sits on his shoulder, and this guy ventures out into the plains of heaven and encounters an angel. And this is how Lewis describes their meeting. I saw coming toward us a ghost who carried something on his shoulder. Like all the ghosts, he was unsubstantial. Pause. His strength, his virility, his life had been taken from him. He was unsubstantial. But they differed from one another as smokes differ. Some had been whitish. This one was dark and oily. What sat on his shoulder was a little red lizard, and it was twitching its tail like a whip and whispering things in his ear. As we caught sight of him, he turned his head to the reptile with a snarl of impatience. Shut up, I tell you, he said. It wagged its tail and continued to whisper to him. He ceased snarling and presently began to smile. Then he turned and started to limp westward, away from the mountains. Off so soon, said a voice. The speaker was more or less human in shape, but larger than a man, and so bright that I could hardly look at him. His presence smote my eyes and on my body too, for there was heat coming from him as well as light, like the morning sun at the beginning of a tyrannous tyrannous summer day. "'Yes, I'm off,' said the ghost. "'Thanks for all your hospitality, but it's no good, you see. "'I told this little chap,' here he indicated the lizard, "'that he'd have to be quiet if he came, which he insisted on doing. "'Of course his stuff won't do here, I realize that, but he won't stop. "'I shall just have to go home.'" In other words, he wants to keep lust on his shoulder, and lust won't work in heaven. "'Would you like me to make him quiet?' said the flaming spirit, an angel, as I now understood. "'Of course I would,' said the ghost.' That I will kill him, said the angel, taking a step forward. Oh, ah, ah, look out. You're, you're burning me. Keep away, said the ghost, retreating. Don't you want him killed? You didn't say anything about killing him at first. I hardly meant to bother you with anything so drastic as that. It's the only way, said the angel, whose burning hands were now very close to the lizard. Shall I kill it? Well, well, that's a further question. I, I'm, I'm quite open to consider it, but it's a new point, isn't it? I mean, for the moment, I was only thinking about silencing it because up here, well, it's so damned embarrassing. May I kill it? Well, there's no time to, dis- oh, well, there's time to discuss that later. There is no time. May I kill it? Please, I never meant to be such a nuisance. Please, really, don't bother. Look, it's, it's gone to sleep of its own accord. I'm sure it'll be all right now. Thanks ever so much. May I kill it? Honestly, I don't think that there's the slightest necessity for that. I'm sure I shall be able to keep it in order now. I think the gradual process would be far better than killing it. The gradual process is of no use at all. But don't you think so? Well, I'll think over that, uh, what you said very carefully. I honestly will. In fact, I'd let you kill it now, but as a matter of fact, I'm not feeling frightfully well today. It may be most silly to do it now. I'd, be, uh, I'd need to be in good health for the operation, uh, maybe some other day perhaps. There is no other day. All days are present now. Get back. You're burning me. How can I tell you to kill it? You'd kill me if you did. This lust is a part of me. I've lived with it for so long. You can't take it. You'll kill me. It is not so. Why? You're hurting me now. I never said it wouldn't hurt you. I said it wouldn't kill you. Oh, I know. You think I'm a coward. But it isn't that. Really, it isn't. I say, let me run back tonight to tonight's bus and get an opinion from my own doctor. I'll come here the first moment I can. I need a second opinion. Oh, Joe Rogan says lust is not a big deal. This moment contains all moments. Why are you torturing me? You are jeering at me. How can I let you tear me in pieces? If you wanted to help me, why didn't you kill the damn thing without asking me before I knew? In other words, why doesn't God just take it away from us? It would be all over by now if you had. I cannot kill it against your will. It is impossible. Have I your permission? The angel's hands were almost closed on the lizard, but not quite. Then the lizard began chattering to the ghost so loud that even I could hear what it was saying. Be careful, it said. He can do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word from you, and he will. Then you'll be without me forever and ever. It's not natural. How could you live? You'd only be sort of a ghost, not a real man as you are now. He doesn't understand. He's only a cold, bloodless, abstract thing. It may be natural for him, but it isn't for us. Yes, yes, I know there are no real pleasures now, only dreams. But aren't they better than nothing? And I'll be so good. I admit, I've sometimes gone too far in the past, but I promise I won't do it again. I'll give you nothing but really nice dreams. All sweet and fresh and almost innocent. You might say quite innocent. Have I your permission, said the angel to the ghost. I know it will kill me. It won't. But supposing it did. You're right. It would be better to be dead than to live with this creature. Then I may. Damn and blast you. Go on, can't you? Get it over. Do what you like, bellowed the ghost, but ended whimpering. God, help me. God, help me. Next moment, the ghost gave a scream of agony such as I had never heard on earth. The burning one closed his crimson grip on the reptile, twisted it while it bit and writhed, and then flung it broken-backed on the turf. Ow, that's done for me, gasped the ghost, reeling backwards. For a moment, I could make out nothing distinctly. Then I saw between me... And the nearest bush, unmistakably solid, but growing every moment solider, the upper arm and shoulder of a man, then brighter still and stronger, the legs and hands, the neck and golden head materialized while I watched. He's becoming a real man again. And if my attention had not wavered, I should not have seen the actual completing of a man, an immense man, naked, not much smaller than the angel. He gets his virility back. What distracted me was the fact that, listen to this, at the same moment, something seemed to be happening to the lizard. At first, I thought the operation had failed. So so far from dying, the creature was still struggling and even growing bigger as it struggled. And as it grew, it changed. Its hinder parts grew rounder. The tail still flickering became a tail of hair that flickered between huge and glossy buttocks. Suddenly I, stare, I started back, I rubbed my eyes. What stood before me was the greatest stallion I had ever seen, silvery white, but with mane and tail of gold. It was smooth and shining, rippled with swells of flesh and muscle whinnying and stamping its hoof at each stamp the land shook and the trees dindled the new man turned and clapped the new horse's neck it nosed his bright body horse and master breathed into each other the the, the other's nostrils the man turned from it flung himself at the feet of the burning one and embraced them Then he rose. I thought his face shone with tears, but it may have been only the liquid love and brightness. One cannot distinguish them in that country which flowed from him. I had not long to think about it in joyous haste. The young man leaped upon the horse's back, turning in his seat. He waved a farewell Then nudged the stallion with his heels. They were off before I knew well what was happening. They were riding, if you like. I came out as quickly as I could from among the bushes to follow them with my eyes, but already they were only only like a shooting star far off on the green plain and soon among the foothills of the mountains. Then still like a star, I saw them winding up, scaling what seemed impossible possible steeps and quicker ever moment till near the dim brow of the landscape so high that I must strain my neck to see them. They vanished, bright themselves into the rose brightness of that everlasting morning. While I still watched, I noticed that the whole plain and forest were shaking with a sound, which in our world would be too large to hear. But there I could take it in with joy. I knew it was not the solid people who were singing. It was the voice of that earth, those woods and those waters, a strange, archaic, inorganic noise. Is this up here? Okay, sorry guys. Am I right in thinking that the lizard really turned into the horse? Yes, but it was killed first. You'll not forget that part of the story. I'll try not to, sir, but does it mean that everything, everything that is in us can go on to the mountains? Heaven, the new heavens, the new earth. Nothing, not even the best and noblest can go on as it now is. Nothing, not even what is lowest and most bestial will not be raised again if it submits to death. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Flesh and blood cannot come to the mountain, not because they are too rank, because they're too weak. What is a lizard compared with a stallion? Lust is a poor, weak, whimpering, whispering thing compared with that richness and energy of desire which will arise when lust has been killed. I've been taught my whole life that lust is nothing but a little dragon on your shoulder. Lewis in brilliance says, yes, it is a dragon and it's gotta be killed, but Christ resurrects it into virility, into passion, into the good stuff that causes men to get out there and build something that lasts. The question is, will you let Jesus kill it? Lewis gets it, man. There's no treaty. There's no peacetime. There's no halfway measures. It's not that bad. It's not as bad as it used to be. Kill it. Or it will kill you. It'll kill your seed. It'll kill your future. It'll kill your legacy. You can't live it. Live with it in moderation. You can't make excuses for a little flare up now and then. We have to hate it. You have to let Jesus put it on the cross and kill it. Take it to the tomb and smother it. And then drag it down to hell where it belongs. And if you do, Jesus will resurrect it and make you into a new creation. His resurrection is your resurrection. And you'll come up with greater virility, greater passion. That nuclear reactor that gets out in the world, loves a woman, builds a family, and builds things that last. I want to pray for us, and then I've got some practical stuff. Father God, we want you to kill the dragon. I pray that men in here this morning would Pray the prayer right now and ask you to kill the dragon. Say, Jesus, I give you permission to kill the dragon. Jesus, you lived for us. You died for us. You were buried for us. You rose again for us. You sent the Holy Spirit into us so that we can be more than conquerors, so that we can do things that we couldn't do before. Yes, we're men. We submit our manhood to you. We submit our virility to you and we ask that you would make it a constructive, powerful force for your kingdom on this earth. We admit and confess our lust. We admit and confess our sins a million times over. We've listened to the lies of lust. we followed the promiscuous woman of of Proverbs 7. We've, We've listened to her lies. We've committed sin. We've done stupid things. We're tempted to do it again. We'll be tempted to do it again today. And we ask that you would help us Kill it and resurrect it for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, what time is it? Oh, man. Okay, so classic move, classic Justin move. We have eight minutes for Q&A. I'm going to go go really quick here. What, what What are some practical things that we need to do, guys? Listen, no holds barred here. No holds barred. Job says, in Job 31.1, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look at a virgin or look with lust upon a woman. Matthew chapter 5, 27 through 30, Jesus says, you can commit adultery in the heart and it's better that you pluck out your eye or cut off your hand than you do it. Now, I don't think he's being literal, right? I had a young man one time literally put a hot knife into the fire and burn his own hand because he was trying... To take Jesus literal. Because he couldn't stop looking at porn and masturbating. I don't think Jesus is being literal. But I think he's being very serious. And what he's saying is. Take every measure that you possibly can. Take lust seriously. Get off, that means. Guys. Stop playing around. Get off social media. If you're seeing naked stuff. If you're seeing stuff that turns you on all the time. Get off social media. It's not worth it. Cancel Netflix. Get a dumb phone if you have to. Buy the software. Put it on your computer. Number two, repent and look to Jesus. You're, we're going to get tripped up. We're going to make mistakes. Jesus does not condemn us. He's crucified every one of our sins. So when you, when you, when you screw up, again, it, there's levels to this, right? There's the, loose, there's the nuisance lust, the double look. Repent, Father, And then don't beat yourself yourself up over that. Right? Christ has forgiven you. You forgive yourself. Repent and look to Jesus. Three, men, pursue a godly woman and keep pursuing her. Keep pursuing your woman. Have difficult conversations. Sign up. I'm not going to get there yet. Listen, we do not want to treat our wives like sexual receptacles, but she is our first line of defense against sexual temptation. 1 Corinthians 7 talks about this. Four, take that energy that you have, that nuclear reactor that's burning inside you, take it to the gym. Take it to the prayer closet. Take it to the Bible study. Take it to missional community. Take it into business. Take it into education. Take it out there into the world and build stuff for your kids and their kids. Leave a legacy. Leave an inheritance. Build so much that you don't have time to lust and when your head hits the pillow at night, you are absolutely spent. Lastly, number five. If this dragon has gotten too big, then you're going to need help to kill it. Kevin, you, you might need to meet with Kevin for counseling. You should. If it's gotten too big, you should meet with Kevin. If you're in a fight club, you need to confess it to your fight club. You need help. You Need brothers. You don't need condemnation. Here's what eventually happens with most most men and their lust. They get beat up by it so bad. They feel so condemned that they turn away from God. Why? Because they're so tired of the guilt and the condemnation, right? They never get victory over it. They're just led like a stag to the slaughter. Listen, Jesus isn't condemning you for your sexual sin, but you are. You will, the devil will, the devil's the accuser and you need other men that preach the gospel to yourself and say, you are not a man condemned. Yeah. Christ died for you. Christ loves, free, loves you. Christ can set you free in this moment. There's hope for you. There's strength for you. He can kill the dragon, turn it into a stallion. You need help. So get on Kevin's calendar, guys. Confess it to your fight club. Now, I do not think you should go and confess this to your whole missional community. For the most part, men, we confess our lust to other men. If we confess that kind of stuff in missional community, it makes it awkward for every other woman in the room. If every other woman in the room knew what was in our head, they would start wearing a hijab and all the things, wearing that freaking thing, that's how they'd come. Just a snuggie every single week. That's how they dress. They knew it was in our head. What? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's no no. So, reach out, get help, confess it to your brothers. Get help. I I know there's no time. Is there? There's no time for Q and A. Oh yeah we, yeah yeah that's a great question we I could answer a lot of questions in the podcast. what time is it right now? I don't have any time so let's not even play with it i'm gonna be on, I'm gonna honor you guys time i'll hang up I'll hang out up here if you guys have questions uh, you can email me Justin Dean at sacredcitychurch.com. dot com we can compile those questions we can talk about it on the podcast um, and and if if they're like stuff the ladies shouldn't hear I could publish a pro, a private podcast just for the men so listen the if the dragon's gotten too big, reach out. Because guys, it will kill you. And I'll be honest, I don't want it to take you out. I don't want to take out your family. I don't want it to take out your missional community. I don't want to take out this church. That's what it wants to do. It wants you to feed it and feed it and feed it and feed it. And finally, he's going to feed on you. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for last night. I thank you for these men in this room. And I just pray that you'd make us godly men. And I pray that this church would be the most masculine church in the Quad Cities. That men would sing loud because they are redeemed. They are washed. They are set apart. They've been forgiven of their sins. And Father, I pray that that you would help them, you know, keep their foot on the throat of their lust. Help us all, Lord. Even as we talk about it today, it's, it might just stir up desires in us. There, there, there might be more temptations coming our way today. I pray that we'd be prepared. Make us mighty men of valor. Make us honorable men that love our wife more than anything else in this world. That we submit our virility to God and we bring it back to her over and over and over again. And we build families, we build churches, we build businesses, we build the world that you want. I know that we can't do this in our own strength and so we ask the Holy Spirit to empower us for such an endeavor. We were built for this, Lord. We've been redeemed for this. Help us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Amen.